piensas de Miami? Que todo muy bonito, o sea, encantado, sin la comida riquísima. ¿Qué es tu nombre? Paola. Bueno, la fiesta. of non-Hispanic white, and then two major minorities in African-American and Hispanic. But in Miami-Dade County, it's 70% Hispanic, and then 17% African-American, and then 13% 
non-Hispanic white. We are the inverse of everywhere else in the rest of the country. That's why when people come to Miami-Dade, they think they came to another country. Well, because you kind of did. And so it's like Cuban coffee because Miami is Hispanic. Now, it's also like Cuban coffee because it is powerful. Cuban coffee is extra, right? There's always too much sugar, too much caffeine, all packed in something small. And it seems like everything in Miami is the extremes. Right now, there are more apartments being built in Miami-Dade County than anywhere else in the United States. It's growing like crazy. It's booming. But what I was shocked to discover was that 90% of those apartments are luxury apartments. So think of that. That means that there is money pouring into our county from all over the globe whether it's from all over Latin American countries or whether it's New York and California making big moves down to Miami, there is just a ton of money pumping in. And you see the cranes everywhere, just apartments going everywhere. But there's this huge gap of reality in Miami. You have all this luxury pouring in, and you see the cars and the parties and the life and everything that's going that's so expensive. But the bottom 20% of the economy in Miami-Dade County is poorer than the bottom 20% of any other major city in the United States. So there's this huge difference of what your experience in Miami could be. You could be living in luxury and enjoying all there is, or you could be struggling to barely make the poverty line. And many people, that's their experience here as well. Now, Miami is powerful in that way, um, but also... Miami is hustling. Just like when you get some Cuban coffee, it uh, ramps it up, right? It's gasolina, and you're ready to do work, and you're ready to get going. Well, Miami works hard. Miami-Dade County has 1.9% unemployment rate. That is the lowest of any major city in the United States. People hustle in Miami. You either have one job or you have two jobs. You might have a job you're not documenting, and then you might be renting out an efficiency in the back of the house. It's not quite up to code, but it works. Or you got a way left social security coming as well. Like you're gathering any resource you can to stay alive and to keep going in the city because it's a struggle, right? Miami is hustling. And so all these things kind of converge, and they happen in different ways. And there's this big stereotype of what Miami is. You know, it's party, right? It's, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. It's this big scene that's happening. Uh, I remember I moved to Miami in 1998. So all we knew about Miami and my little place was Miami Vice, the TV show. Now, we couldn't actually watch the show because when we were growing up, I was like, oh, that's the bad stuff there. But we knew that, that Miami was, you know, it was special. There was something about it. It was crazy. It was hectic. It was vibrant. It was alive. It was a party. And so you have this huge stereotype of it, but then you realize everybody's experience is, is very different. So Miami is like a million different little cities. It, your experience could be really based on where you live or where you're from. Um, I moved to Miami because I fell in love with a Cuban girl that I met at college. And so I moved to, to get married here. And so, you know, the song is real. She's going to make you move to Miami. And that's what happens. And I'm here forever. Now, she grew up in uh, Kendall. So that was the place. We moved out, Bird, like 127, way out there. And we would live in Kendall, work in Cutler Bay and all that stuff. But whenever we would go out, 
you know, you come over here into downtown or Little Havana or the Grove or go to Bayside. And whenever we would drive through, like, the, the back streets to get out to Bayside, I would always ask my wife, what would happen if you were born in one of these apartments? You know, like when we would be in the back of 8th Street and you would see all these uh, old apartments and things just hanging out. And I was like, what if you were born here? Like, we never would have met. We never would have uh, been together. We never would have found each other. And then my experience in Miami would have been totally different if I came and I lived in a different neighborhood than what I grew up in. And I think that's true for everybody. Your individual story gives you your interpretation of what Miami is. Not the big uh, stereotype that, that people live in and that people see. I know when I would go to, this summer, when I would go to Army training in South Carolina, all I had to do is tell them, they'd say, where are you from? And I'd say, Miami. All of a sudden, I'm an interesting person. They want to know. <laughs> you know, I didn't tell them I'm from North Carolina because that, whatever, that's where we were. But they want to, you're from Miami. What's it like, you know? There's like all they see is the movies and things. They're like, I've been once. And they would tell a story. I was like, oh, yeah, it's like that. That's the way it is. So, uh, so it's a, a great place. And I want us to look here at how your individual story, what God's brought you into here, is, is his pathway for you to bring the gospel to this city. For you to bring the gospel to Miami. He has put you here at a certain time, at a certain place for his purpose and his reason. And for us to launch into the scripture reading, I'm going to ask my friend Gabby Sagara is going to come and do the scripture reading from Acts chapter 18. And Gabby came from Venezuela to Miami when she was in ninth grade. And she had to learn English while learning all of her schoolwork. And she did an awesome job, and we're proud of Gabby. And she just joined membership. So, Gabby, thank you so much for reading. Oh, yes. I'm sorry, that was my mistake. So, hi, I'm Gabby Segarra. Today's scripture is 18, chapter 18, 7 to 11. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. At the, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, there are two lines in that message from Jesus and the vision that he had given Paul. There's two lines that I think we could use to give us direction in how we are going to bring the gospel into Miami. The first one, Jesus said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. You have a purpose in this city that God has brought you to. Now, when we look at Paul's story, Paul had come to Corinth, and he got a job. He was a tent maker, and he started doing his work. He had a couple good friends that he worked with in order to do that. Much like you, you came, you started working, and then you had a few friends that became part of your community. And he was doing that, trying to teach in the synagogues, and it wasn't working. They weren't listening to him. In fact, they just kicked him out, outright abused him, and sent him on his way. And so he went, and he started to teach to those who weren't a part of the synagogue, to the Gentiles. 
And immediately you see these names in this scripture reading of people who began to receive the gospel immediately. And so what Jesus is doing is he's coming to Paul to reaffirm to him, this is where I have you and this is what I want you to do. So he says, don't stop speaking. Keep sharing the gospel. Because he had him there for a reason. And so this should be a reminder to us, don't underestimate God's purpose for bringing you here to Miami. It wasn't just for a job. It might have been a job that brought you here. It might have been school. It might have been the weather just to get away from terrible winters in the rest of the world. It might have been something fun. It might have been a person. It might have been for love. It might have been to just have a party. But whatever the reason that God brought you to Miami, don't underestimate that there was something greater that he had for you than just that. Because here he's telling Paul, don't be silent. He's put you here for something greater than just the material aspect that brought you here. He has a purpose and a plan for you. Now, if you're here, live like you're going to stay, even if you know you're not. Live like you're going to stay, even if you know that you're not. The average American moves 11 times in their lifetime. I've already hit that number, so I'm staying. But you might be here for a temporary time. It might be that your program's going to finish and you know you're going to move somewhere else. But that doesn't mean that the time that you're here now, God doesn't have something important. You might be looking for where your next step is or where you're going to go. But that doesn't mean that your time now isn't important. You see, Paul was only in Corinth for a year and a half. Just a year and a half. And yet God said, this is the place I have you. Don't be silent. Keep sharing the gospel. And in that year and a half, Paul had planted a seed of a church that would grow there and continue. And so God has something greater for you than just the work that's in front of your face. There is a spiritual movement that you are a part of, and your time here is a part of that as well. Now, previous to living in Corinth, Paul was in Athens. And Athens was another great global city with a lot of things happening. And Paul did what he does. He goes into that city and he begins to share the gospel and he begins to go and teach people about Jesus. And here he's in a place, in, in a courtyard that had all kinds of gods and, and idols and people who liked to debate. But none of them had Jesus in it because he was bringing that news to them. And God gave him this beautiful sermon that he was able to give in Acts chapter 17. And I want you just to look at two verses of that sermon because I think it helps us to understand what it is that God is doing with you, why he brought you here. So Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. This first line teaches us that you know those demographic numbers that we start with, 70% Hispanic. God says it doesn't matter what the demographics of your neighborhood, of your city, of your county is. We are all one person. It says out of one man, all nations are formed. These division lines that we make through these, through these terms and these things that we classify, all they do is help to separate us from what God intended of our unity together. And so he says, one man made all the nations. We are all under God as one race. 
And so those things might look good for statistics or, or to help you understand something, but the gospel applies the same to everybody. No matter where you're from or what language you speak, we are all the same in God's eyes. And so he begins with that, every nation and mankind to live under the face of the earth, and he has determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So the second he says, God has already determined how long you are going to live here and where you're going to live. He knows if you're going to just be in Miami for two years, for three years, for five years and move away. He knows if your children and grandchildren are going to live here. He knows if this is your stop for the rest of your life. He has already allotted the days that you are going to be here. And it says, and he knows the boundaries of where you will be. So he knows your neighborhood. He knows where he's put you to live. And so where you are now and how long you are here is part of God's plan. You aren't here accidentally, and it's not just a stopping point for something else in your future. He has brought you here for a reason. And you are a part of God's plan to bring redemption and to bring the gospel into our city. And so he says, he's allotted the periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, and here's the purpose for that. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Each of us is seeking after God in the place where you are. And he says that you will feel your way towards him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each one of us. Think of that line, he's actually not far from you. Jesus lives here in Miami. Everyone can seek and to find him here. God has brought them to this place because he has laid out in their life several events, some of them small and seem insignificant, some of them might be miraculous and life-changing, but God has laid out his plan and his timing so that you would come to know him here. Now, for some of us, that might be an introduction. This might be the time that you first realize that God loves you and that he sent his son to die for you. And that Jesus dying on the cross wasn't just a story of a martyr of a great man, but what this was, Jesus was the sacrifice that God made so that your guilt, your sin and shame would be taken from you and placed on him. And so each one of us can lay down that burden of our own sin and our own guilt and we can bring it to Christ because he's already paid for it on the cross. And the judgment of God that was, that was deserving to me has now already been satisfied in the life of Jesus. So Jesus has extended to you today an invitation to the free grace of God. He has loved you, he has forgiven you, and he has already paved the way for eternal life. All you do is rest in him and what he has done. So maybe for some of you, this might be your first time realizing it and, in, and just accepting it. And so today, Miami was the place that God brought the gospel to you. But for many of you, you've already been there. And today is the place that God is bringing the gospel through you to Miami. The things that are surrounding us that we complain about in our city, the things that, that bother us, the chaos, the brokenness, the burdens, the pain, uh, the sin, the corruption, all of these things that are synonymous with what the big uh, picture of the, of the stereotype of Miami, these are all just cries 
that we need the gospel, that we need Jesus. And each of you who already have Jesus in your life are now commissioned to share that, to bring that. He brought you here for this purpose because there are people now groping in the darkness to find God and you have him. And he is laying out the pathway through you. Jesus lives in Miami, and I love what he says in the second line of his vision to Paul. He says, because I have many people in this city. Because I have many people in this city. You are never alone in your work with God. All throughout Miami, God has placed other believers who are here to support you. In fact, this church, God has brought 800 believers together. What can 800 people do to make an impact for the gospel? I mean, there's 2.7 million people in Miami-Dade County. So you're like, well, 800 is not a lot. But what if all churches work together? There's tens of thousands of believers in our county. What can tens of thousands do to move the hearts and move the things that are breaking the lives of people in Miami? That's one of the beautiful things of us participating in Serve Week. Yes, there's the projects that we do that make an immediate impact, but then there's just the idea of what if Christians work together? And you see this new movement in our city of, of unity of churches serving together, working together, wanting to see the gospel spread in any church and in any place. And we're a part of that. And you're not alone. He has many people in this city. Not only is there a great unity growing, but there's an openness. People are looking for God. People are asking for him. People are searching. And Jesus says, I'm not far from them. They'll find him. We were at an event just last night for First Priority, which is a, a mission into the public schools where they share the gospel in all the schools. And they have 50 clubs in Miami-Dade County, and they're working to get 90, where students lead a club sharing the gospel with other students. That's an openness. That's people seeking after God. And, and he's saying, don't be silent. It's available there. And so we have the opportunity to partner with those people and to be those lights. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. This is a story you know very well. Jesus shared this story with someone. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. So even if you didn't go to church growing up, you knew the story of the Good Samaritan. It's common, it's common language inside and outside of the church. Everyone knows what the Good Samaritan is. But I want you to see how masterful Jesus was in crafting this story. There was a lawyer, and he was a religious lawyer who came to him and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus gives him this beautiful, simplified answer Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Boils everything down to these two things. And this man in his self-righteousness wanted to justify his own behavior, the Bible tells us. He says, well, who's my neighbor? Like, who do I really have to love? And that's when Jesus creates a story that teaches us a lesson. He creates a story of a man who walks down the road, and as he's walking down the road, thieves grab him, beat him up, leave him on the side of the road, to die. And on that same road, the first person who walked down that road, he said, is a priest. And Jesus selected a priest for a reason. The priest walked, saw the need, and says he walked on the other side of the road. Jesus was teaching us 
that even the theologically correct, even if you know your Bible and you know your scriptures, that it's a shame to see the problems that are around you and to pass on the other side. So he highlighted this priest who did that. The second was a Levite. Now a Levite was generations of people who had established the, the tribe that would take care of the temple. So this is long-term institutional church. This is like the idea of, of when you speak to your friends and they're like, oh, I don't believe in the church. Or, or they'll tell you a story about, well, didn't the church corrupt? And didn't the church do all this in the past? And they think about the church as this giant institution. Well, that's like the Levite who sees and he walks on the other side. And so Jesus selects the third person. He says, now there was a Samaritan. And the reason Jesus chose a Samaritan is because it was counterculture. It would be abrasive to everything they knew. Not only did it stir up a, a, a racial tension they had, but it was also a theological tension. Jesus wouldn't agree with the theology of the Samaritan. He would say it's not biblical and it's incorrect. And yet he's using him as the hero of the story to teach a lesson. It says the Samaritan goes and he sees the man. And he goes over. And he bandages all his wounds. And not only does he bandage all his wounds, but he takes him to a hotel and he tells the hotel, look, I'll pay for everything. Just take care of him, feed him, room and board until he doesn't, and I'm going to come back and pay for it. This good Samaritan is the Jesus in the story. Because that is what Jesus has done for you and I. When we were broken and on the side of the road and, and hopeless to do anything for ourselves, he came and he healed your wounds. He forgave you. And then he set you up, and he provided for you. And he says, I'm going to come back, and everything's at my cost, not theirs. I'll pay for it all. That is what Jesus has done for us. And so as he has done that for us, he left this example as well for us to follow. That we would not be people who walk on the other side of the road. I get convicted by this very much because it's very easy for me to see the problem and walk away. To see the problem and stay on the other side of the street. To see the problems in Miami and say, it's better somewhere else. To see the problems in Miami and say, I'm going to stay isolated from it. To see the problems that are going on and say, that's not my problem, that's not me. And we walk on the other side of the street. But as Jesus has lived for us and as Jesus has commanded us in these verses... That we are the ones who are supposed to go into that problem. Now I heard a, a commentary this week say this. Admiration and friendship are greater evangelists than preachers and theologians. Now I don't know if it's a need to compare, but I could say that preachers and theologians, what they say won't matter unless there's admiration and friendship. That the two of these things, what we say and what we do, have to be combined. And the admiration, if people look and they see the love of God in your life, forgiveness and grace and mercy and peace, that they say, I want that too. I don't want the chaos that's in my heart, the craziness, the, the anxiousness of chasing, of chasing, of never having. I want to have the peace you have. And then friendship. If they see that we have love for one another. In John 17, we just saw that Jesus told his disciples, if you are united as we are united, people will believe in God because they see your unity and your love. Friendship and admiration. Now, 
to not walk past the problems, we have opportunities around us. In Miami-Dade County, a thousand children get removed from their home every year. Yet there are 9,000 churches in Miami-Dade that could step up and do something. That's why next Sunday we have our foster crew meeting. Because our church can do something about that problem. And just think about it, if 9,000 churches were saying, I'll do one thing, then things start to happen. Individually, we can't solve these giant problems. Human trafficking, foster care system, economics, all that stuff. As one, we cannot. But what God puts right in front of you, you can. And so as you walk down the road and you see that problem beside you, God is calling you to step into it. As you leave today, I hope that you picked out one of those. Or as you came in, did you get a worksheet, a little paper here? This is a take-home thing that you could do with your community group later. Uh, or if you're not in a group, I would strongly encourage it. But you could do this on your own as well. You see, to move our mindsets from the we can save Miami, this big city with big problems, God is calling you really only to what's in your life. What does he put? What is your Miami? And so in this, there are four quadrants that you can look at. First, who has God put in your life in school or work? So if you're a student, list the names of people that you have been sitting with or interacting with. That's your job. Who are the ones that God has put you in the, into their life? And the problems that they have, don't say I need to avoid those people because they've got problems. See that you've got a gospel that can heal those problems. Same in your home. Maybe it's inside your home amongst each other, or maybe it's in your neighborhood. But this is another part of the life that you live. And write the names down and say, who has God brought into my life? And what could I be doing to bring the light there? Then where you play, your social life, your fun zones, the place where all the kids get together for birthday parties or the teams that you're sponsoring, all that kind of stuff. Write the names of the people that God's bringing into your life. And is every conversation just supposed to be superficial? Or is he making you a light of gospel in this city? I encourage you to take those. We're not responsible to save the world or even save our entire city. But God has put in your life, he has ordained the time you will be here, the boundaries you will be here, and he is Jesus is living in Miami with you so that you could share the gospel in our city. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and how brilliant you are in the story you've given to us of the Good Samaritan and how it convicts me, Lord, to not turn and walk away, but to engage in these things. And God, you've given us so many opportunities throughout our community partners and our, our events that we can be a part of this, of bringing your love to the city of Miami, and to see the movement you're doing around us. In Jesus' name, amen.